the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. This story in the Gospels of Jesus being transfigured in the sight of Peter and James and John, his appearance being changed so that he is white like lightning, that his clothes are shining brighter than the sun, is always kind of a strange and perplexing episode. What does it mean? How does it fit into the story? And I think that's exactly the effect that it has on Peter and James and John. They're up there on the mountain, and then it's kind of like a dream. It's a vision. Not what they were expecting, not what they've seen with Jesus so far. What on earth could it mean? And then, while Peter is trying to make sense of it, a voice comes from heaven and knocks him over. He tumbles to the ground. He's afraid. He's got it all wrong. He's learned something about himself. He's learned something about who Jesus is. He's learned something about the path that lies ahead for him but most of all for his Savior. And that is what we have to learn here today as well. But first, but first, to help make sense of this perplexing episode, it's important to have some background. Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus on the mountain. Moses and Elijah, who've been long gone. Moses, who died thousands of years earlier. And Elijah, who did not die, but was carried up into heaven by chariots of fire. Here they appear with Jesus as he manifests his glory. Now this is something that Moses and Elijah really had been waiting for. Moses' job, his main job, was to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. He led them as a prophet, one who spoke God's word, who gave them God's law, who spoke to God, this is how it, it's put in the book of Exodus, who spoke to God face to face, like a man speaks with his friend. He was the intermediary, the one who stood between God and the people, both for their good when God was giving them promises and also to defend them when God's wrath was to be poured out against them. Moses interceded for them, prayed for them. But Moses was not perfect. He struggled against the same sinful flesh that you and I bear. He struggled against this same impulse that we all have, which is that we'd like to obtain glory We'd like to get to the finish line without having to suffer along the way. We'd like to get to the promised land without having to go through the wilderness. We'd like to get to the resurrection without having to die first. We'd like to receive forgiveness without having to give up 
our sins. Moses is just like you and me in so many ways. Here's one of the ways that you can see it. Moses came down from the mountain after having received the law from God on the, ten, the two tablets, the Ten Commandments, and he found the people of Israel worshiping a golden calf, having abandoned already the God who just rescued them from the hand of Pharaoh. Moses, in his anger, throws the tablets on the ground, grinds them up, makes the uh, people of Israel eat the ground-up uh, golden calf, makes them drink water that's been sprinkled with that, those ashes. He's mortified by what they've done. Moses goes back up on the mountain, and he talks to God about what has happened. And Moses says to God, these are your people. They're your people, and you have promised to be merciful to them, so be merciful to them. But I cannot bear them on my own. Moses says, am I their mother? Did I give birth to them? That I should have to endure all of this stuff that they're putting me through? And he insists. He says to God, God, show me your glory. Give me some sign that this is for my good and for their good. Show me your glory. He wants to see behind the curtain. He wants to remove the veil. He wants to see more than what God has given him to see. Now, God loves Moses, and he loves his people. But he says to Moses, you can't see my glory. It would kill you. It would destroy you. So here's what I'm going to do. It's this great episode. God says to Moses, I'm going to hide you in a cleft of the rock up on here on the mountain. I'll tuck you in there, and I'll put my hand in front of you, and I'm going to go by, and then I'll remove my hand, and you'll get to see my backside. How's that sound? And this is exactly what God did for Moses. And as God went by, he revealed himself to Moses, not in all of his destructive, fiery glory, but in his goodness. So Moses walked, or God walked by Moses, and this is what God said. I am the Lord, the Lord gracious and merciful, the Lord abounding in steadfast love. I am here for you. I think there's a sense in which, at least a little bit, Moses wanted that glory without having to endure the trials along the way. He wanted the glory without the suffering. Same thing goes for Elijah. It's a really similar story for Elijah. He's a prophet much later in the history of Israel. He's a prophet who was magnificent, did wondrous works. He had a contest with all of the prophets of Baal, the false god, of the people of the land that had been taken up by the kings of Israel. They had gone completely off the rails. And they were misleading all of the people. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, among the most wicked there ever were. And Elijah had this contest with them, with those prophets of Baal. He said, go, you go ahead, build some altars, and call to your gods, and see if your gods will consume those sacrifices. And it was an all-day affair, and the prophets of Baal did everything that they could think of to get Baal to consume that sacrifice, and nothing happened. Crickets. Elijah poked fun at them and said, maybe Baal, maybe he's using the restroom. Maybe that's why he can't show up, to consume this sacrifice. Well, once they were done trying their hardest, Elijah takes control of the altar. He puts a sacrifice on the altar, and then he gives instructions to the servants. He says, douse it in water. Dig a trench around it and douse it in water again. Douse it in water again. And then he prays to God and says, God, show these people that you are the one true God. And just like that, fire from heaven comes and consumes the sacrifice and the altar and licks up every last drop of water all around. And Elijah was vindicated against the prophets of Baal. But, but, he's then now the subject of great persecution. Jezebel does not take kindly to her prophets being so humiliated. 
Elijah has to go on the run. He finds himself sitting in the wilderness, actually near the same mountain that Moses was on when he was talking to God. And Elijah's feeling bad for himself. I'm the only one, he says, who believes in God. Nobody else believes in you. I've been a good prophet. And what have I gotten for it? Nothing but suffering. God takes him up into the mountain and shows him a few things. He sends an earthquake and a strong wind and a fire, but in each of those things there is no presence of God. God was not in any one of those things. And then, last of all, God comes to Elijah in a still, small voice. You wanted to see glorious things, Elijah? You wanted to see something magnificent? You want something powerful to happen? Listen to me. Listen to my voice. This is what God says. You're feeling bad for yourself because you think the only one left. Well, I've saved some people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000 souls. You're not the only one. They're my people. You're my servant. Listen to my voice. The glory does not come apart from suffering. In fact, the glory comes through suffering. Resurrection comes through death. Forgiveness comes through Turning away from sin, from leaving behind everything that was before, life comes because Jesus gives his own life to us. Glory comes through suffering because of sin. Glory comes to you because God gives it to you. Because he, lists, he gives you his voice and you listen to it. That's where we find ourselves in the gospel today. Jesus is on the mountain with Peter and James and John, and there are Moses and Elijah, and they get to see this glimpse of Jesus' glory. It's kind of hard to imagine. Picture it. His clothes brighter than the sun. His, his uh, clothes became white as light, magnificent, stunning, exactly what Moses and Elijah had longed to see. And Peter and James and John, they get to see it. They didn't have to endure the wilderness wandering. They didn't have to endure the persecution of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Here they are on the mountain, and it's no wonder that Peter says, Look, this is a good spot. I like it here. Let's stay here. I'm going to build some tents. We'll just stay put on this mountaintop. Peter knows what is good. He knows that being with Jesus is good. He knows that Jesus is the very Son of God. In fact, in the previous chapter of Matthew, Peter gave this great confession. Who do people say that I am? Jesus asked. And Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commended Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but your Father who is in heaven. But Peter also knows that his ideas about who the Son of God is and what he's going to do and how glory is obtained for him and for those who trust in him, he knows that his ideas have been wrong in the past. Right after Peter gives this great confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he also tells Jesus that he should not go to the cross and die. You think you're going to go to Jerusalem and get killed? No way. That's not what should happen to the Messiah. That's not what should happen to my king. And in that moment, Jesus turns and says of Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're trying to get glory without suffering. You're trying to have forgiveness without repentance. You're trying to have life. You're trying to have atonement without a sacrifice. You're trying to have resurrection without death, and you cannot have it. That is what Jesus has come to do, to do each one of those things for us, to suffer, to make atonement, 
to show us what life looks like according to God's love, according to his law, to show us the promises of God in the flesh, on the cross, laid in the grave, and rising on the third day. And that, that is the only path, the only path to life. You get to glory through suffering. Now, you may have ideas in your head about what that looks like in your life as Christians. We know the kinds of things that we suffer. We know the kinds of things that agonize us and cause us grief. You could make a list, I'm sure, of all the things that you suffer. But I think that there's one that is so easily overlooked that is actually more fundamental, more basic, that you should take stock of today. And it is this. When Jesus is commended by his heavenly Father and the voice comes from heaven, he gives this command. You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my Son... Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to the voice of Jesus. Suffer by listening to the voice of Jesus. Do not suffer in your self-made kinds of crosses, the kinds of ways that you would like to suffer. Do not think that suffering because of sin that you've committed or things that you have done wrong, that that kind of suffering is the suffering of the cross. Instead, listen to Jesus and suffer. Do you know what I mean? Listen to Jesus as he says to you, you are sinful to the core. Do not shy away from him when he points out your weaknesses, when he points out your frailty, when he calls you to repentance, listen to him and suffer. When he tells you what is good and right and true and holy, listen to him and suffer as your flesh finds out that all of the things that it loves are not good whatsoever. Listen to Jesus as his voice puts to death your sinful flesh. Listening to Jesus is suffering because your flesh chafes against it, cannot stand it. Your sinful flesh, by nature, hates every word that comes from Jesus' mouth, and so suffer it. Listen to him. Let his word take root in you, And so, drive out the sin in your heart. Let his word have its way with you. Let his word drown out every other word that you would so gladly listen to. Let his voice be the voice that sounds louder in your life than all of the other pleasant, comfortable voices that we cling to in this life. Suffer in that way. Suffer by saying no to the things that this world wants for you, to the things that your flesh wants. Suffer by putting Christ first in your life. Suffer by listening to him. Now is the time to take stock of who you listen to. Think it through. What fills your ears? You've heard me say this before. We have to say it all the time. What fills your ears? Whose words go into your heart most of all? Who do you spend the most time listening to? It can seem really trivial to kind of like do a calculation. But do it. Who occupies most of the airtime in your head? Is it Jesus? Or is it someone else? Is it your own heart? Is it the world around you? Are you comfortable and at ease most of the time, except for those moments when Jesus comes speaking to you and he unsettles things? Are you willing to suffer? Because he has only good things in store for you. Which voice do you know better? Do you know the voice of Jesus or do you know other voices? 
Which story do you know better? Do you know the story of Jesus? Do you know who Moses and Elijah are? Do you know what happened to them in their lives? Do you know the other prophets and patriarchs? Do you know the lead-up to the gospel, where all of this came from, how we arrived right here? Do you know those things most of all? Or do you know the characters of some TV show most of all? Do you know the story of your own life best of all? Do you know the tales that you've heard of family and friends best of all? Or do you know Jesus' story most of all? Who are you listening to? It's time to be honest with yourself. It's always time. Now is always the day of salvation. It's time to be honest with yourself about who you are listening to because that's what your sinful flesh needs. It needs the voice of Jesus to put it to death. That's exactly what he does. And that's why being here on a Sunday morning is indispensable. You need to hear the voice of Jesus. You need to hear it not just once a week. You need to hear it every day, day in and day out. Last week, maybe you thought I was being hyperbolic, being exaggerating a bit when I said you should study the Ten Commandments every day. No, and not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the catechism. You should say the Lord's Prayer every day. You should recite the Creed every day. You should pray according to God's Word every day. You should think about your baptism every day. You should look forward to the Lord's Supper every day. You should confess your sins every day because in doing those things you are listening to Jesus every day. And when you are uncomfortable with that, when it makes you ache, when you feel like it's too much, when you don't like what he has to say, know that that is why, that is how you know it is working. That is how you know it is doing some good in your life because it is putting to death your sinful flesh. When it seems extreme, when it sounds like I'm asking you to be some, some sort of a fundamentalist weirdo, <laughs> know that that's because it's good for you. That's the devil whispering in your ear. You're being too religious, he says. You're going to hear too much about Jesus. You're going to spend too much time with your head in the clouds listening to the voice of that guy who's dead and gone. That's what the devil says. There are more important things for you to think about. That's what the world says. Forget them. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus and suffer. Suffer gladly, with joy, knowing that the suffering comes from him. And it is meant to discipline you and draw you closer to him, to teach you repentance, and most of all, to teach you to put your trust in him. He who is merciful and just loves you. And unless you listen to him, you will never receive from him forgiveness and salvation, which is what he wants to give you most of all. So listen to him and suffer and so. Receive his glory. Put your trust in him. Start again today. Start again tomorrow. Start again every day and come back here again next week and be reminded once more how much he loves you. He gave up his life for you. He spoke through the ages from one generation to the next so that you could hear his voice, the voice of the good shepherd who leads you to still waters and green pastures. Listen to him. Listen to him. To him alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.